Greetings programs, welcome to Animatronic, the podcast talking about episodes of Disney's animated television show, Tron Uprising. My name is Duncan Shields, host of Tronologically Speaking, the movie-by-minute podcast talking about 1982's movie, Tron. And I'm Courtney Coulson, reviewing Tron Legacy one minute at a time on Legacy Minute. Episode 10. It's been really wonderful revisiting Tron Uprising, and because we're reviewing it, you really get to delve into it and really think about all these characters in this world. Yeah, yeah. Like, I loved watching it the first time, and uh, this has been such a good, a, a, such a wonderful trip going back down into the into the rabbit hole of this of this series. And seeing the, you know, the, the huge strengths and the occasional weakness, but just the, the beauty of it all in general. Mm. But this is so Scars Part 2. This is a, a really uh, the, the end of a, a pretty big deal uh, two-parter. Where it's so dang cool. Beck must confront his mentor and convince Tron that revenge is not the answer. So uh, we recap with more sarcasm from the recap voice saying everyone is overjoyed when a new visitor comes to town. And (laughs) no one was uh, overjoyed at the arrival of Dyson. I mean, Pavel was overjoyed at the look of that ship. He wanted one. That's true. And Pavel was like, hey, wait a second. This means that, uh, you know, Tesla might be on the way out. But uh, Beck awakens from being shocked on the floor of Tron's hideout to realize that his disc is now just a regular disc. I would also like to point out that lightning should be a more common feature in the grid. It is hella cool. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. And a lot of electricity flying around in there, I'd imagine. I mean, it is a metaphor, but, uh, but I'd imagine as metaphors go. And Beck's base, I mean, I don't know, or Tron's base here, it's just like a massive, empty mansion with, like, floor-to-ceiling windows in 30-foot-high ceilings. Like, I wonder, it makes me wonder about space in the grid. Like, can you just go, like, program yourself a 10-story luxurious open-plan secret hideout somewhere? Like, it's yeah. not that different. I guess it's kind of not that different from the Batcave, but, I mean, Bruce Rain's oh, a billionaire. Flint's- uh, yeah, Flynn's uh, hideout is kind of similar. But actually, Flynn's place has lower ceilings. I don't know why. Yeah. What, what do you need all that room for, Tron? What I was wondering is, is this Flynn's hideout? Well, like, is is the, does it become Flynn's hideout? Because he kind of he's off in a, but he's in more of a, a cliff face. Yeah, right? no, because he would be hiding there now, as this story progresses. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. He would, eh? Yeah. And I guess Tron doesn't know where he is. Would he be in there by this point? Well, given that Tron Legacy doesn't specify anything that happened between yeah the when Clue betrays him to when he's living in the the safe house. It's basically from what I've gathered, he has the safe house. He has Korra. That's basically been the status quo ever since then. Yeah. But there's room. Like, if you wanted to write fan fiction about his adventures during that time, I guess you could. Yeah, because we've seen Korra out and about, but that was in mm. flashbacks. Yeah, that was right? before. No, that was just after the purge, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's in there now. So this can't be. He can't be unless he's in the in the basement and Tron just. Mm. I actually don't know why Flynn didn't try to contact Tron, but I guess maybe it's too risky. I don't know. 
Yeah, or well, he saw Tron get killed, so maybe he thinks Tron mm. is. Uh, maybe he thinks Tron is dead too. Sure. Maybe he's looking for him. Yeah, that's that's my headcanon this whole time. He's searching there it for is. him. Just, yeah, eventually I have to accept, oh, my best friend is dead. <laughs> so uh, Tron, with his scar getting uglier, uh, races across the tundra on his light bike to Argon. And this is cool because Beck, Beck catches up to him on his bike, uh, trying to get him to stop. And they have a sweet little jet wall light trail battle out there on the tundra with no uh no walls or anything like that so they're just across this open prairie trying to uh well there's random chunks of wreckage out there and uh outcroppings like rocks jutting up and like what looked like ruined tie fighters just kind of strewn about the uh the landscape here and they're trying mm. to jet jet wall each other into uh, a trap and this is like I love that so much the rest of this, the, this just like the rest of the fight sequences and chase sequences in this in this show. There's some really cool, well thought out maneuvers here. It's not just punch, duck, punch, duck, or like swerve, you know, avoid, swerve, avoid. Like Tron derezzes his bike. He's going at top speed, so I'm not quite sure how he does this, but he derezzes his bike, sprints for like two steps, and then jumps over the jet wall trap that uh that beck has set he tried to make a little horseshoe that uh tron would run into but tron absolute mad makes it makes a mad lad exactly he makes his bike disappear does a a half twist over it and then you know reses his bike back up again before he hits the ground and that's like okay all right that's uh that's a sweet way to avoid a jet wall that's that's a that's a gutsy maneuver physically impossible if you're going 100 miles an hour but really uh Really neat, and I guess possible. You for don't sure. know how physics work on the grid. Clearly, it's it a, is possible. <laughs> it's a fact. I saw it happen. Clearly, it's possible. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, Tron grabs a, a long chunk of wreckage and jams it into Beck's bike just before a massive chasm. And Tron makes the jump easily, of course, but Beck derezzes his bike and uh, almost slides over the edge before looking into the chasm that his mentor just jumped across, saying, Whoa. Very, very Keanu, very Keanu movement uh, moment here. Yeah, hasn't this happened before? Well, yeah, yeah. In an earlier episode, yeah. This this is echoing back to an earlier scene. That's what I was thinking too, and I think that was like maybe the first episode, but it's when Tron was teaching Beck not to hesitate. He's like, I mm. jumped across the chasm because I didn't hesitate, but you hesitated. Never hesitate. That was the the moral of that. And it is uh, very Matrixy because it is a simulation. So yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, I wonder if th- there is a uh, animatrix short where this athlete was able to push beyond the barriers of the simulation through sheer willpower. That's right. And I'm wondering if a program could do the same. I don't see why not. Right? Damn, they could either like they could program themselves to uh, to be boosted, right? Like which mm. a bunch of them do. We see a bunch of them do, but I'm pretty sure that through sheer gumption and and chutzpah they could just really set their mind to it or or zen it out you know like that's kind of what what flynn does right is he's Mm. got this whole zen you know upper meditation higher brain level thing happening that lets him you know and he's a user but like he's got he's got the keys to some unique abilities just through you know mind power and belief 
there's just so much they haven't explored but come on disney bring this back bring Give it me back more. bring it back they do explore a lot and we're getting into some some really sweet episodes so i'm uh, i'm looking forward to some of the stuff that's coming up because yeah i just love it but so we got tesla walking through his lair berating pavel and page about the skirmish that happened during what was supposed to be a boring uneventful tour of argon for dyson um and then they get to Tesla's bonkers massive throne only to have it spin around and uh there's dyson lounging he does the perfect the bad guy spin you know you get the chair back and then the chair spins around and there's dyson not giving the throne the respect it deserves he's sprawled out one foot up on it hey what's up guys you know and uh it's funny watching tesla being just a complete coward just like oh yeah you go ahead (laughs) immediately right like immediately i'm so glad to have you treating my ship like it's your ship everything's so cool but behind his back you can see his hands are glowing with uh with rage (laughs) yes (laughs) i'd be it'd be pretty wild i think we talked about this before but if we had such automatic tells for emotion like if we literally glowed red i mean i guess we sort of have that like in uh, blade runner the cap capillary dilation blush response and i, I imagine good de- good detectives are really good at seeing that sort of thing but if we literally glowed red with anger or uh, our different emotions that would be something yeah that would that would suck you trying to keep things secret it's like oh nope that's just it's telegraphed yeah. to everybody yeah right human mood ring i'm totally cool yeah human mood rings that's what they all are that's what all the all the programs are they're human mood rings that i uh, yeah i want them to explore that a little bit too like like you know if, if you're in love with somebody and it's just you're you're literally glowing pink or something like that you know and it's like no i'm not into you uh everything's cool and you're just you know like morse coding in pink like i think that would be cool something to explore or maybe that even universe yeah right sure i think i think they've done something like that yeah there's there's parts of it that are like that and then the other uh, thing i like is um uh i don't know if it's really a trope but where you have your big bad villain but then this other character comes along and really criticizes and undermines them and i love that you know tesla has been the most intense baddest guy on the whole grid and then all of a sudden dyson's just like i don't even feel like you have any control over the city you can't even handle this one renegade you know yeah and you also get the feeling that if tesla stepped to dyson like not only does dyson have the authoritative power behind him being the the right hand program of clue but you get the feeling that dyson would be like oh ho-hum and just handily you know cut off tesla's arms or whatever and say don't try that again like you know okay yeah. <laughs> like there's a there's a real power imbalance here and i love that when that happens in a movie when you've got the big bad guy and then someone else shows up and it's like oh no 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 this this is real power you know or that i, I always like that in a in a movie when there's a, a power imbalance that you weren't expecting that's it yeah one. like i guess darth vader is probably a prime example where you think oh he's the big bad and then it's like oh no here's unlimited power with the <laughs> <Yeah. Emperor." laughs> that's right yeah then uh so we cut to page showing dyson around because dyson says he's gonna stay in argon just to make sure the renegade is caught and that he wants to continue the tour so then we cut to page showing dyson around just an awesome set i like 
what the heck is this place? This giant bells housing, little, you know, towers of tech, like five story high bells. And like some of them jet some steam and the robot voice is saying that a, a coolant failure is imminent. Uh, which interrupts Paige trying to reassure Dyson that everything's okay. But I think it looks this... like a data storage facility meets a brewery. That's what yeah, I think of. yeah, definite brewery vibes with those big silos. And it's like, I guess it's like a, a nuclear cooling station, or not nuclear, but like that kind of mm. that kind of thing. She goes to check on the problem after hearing. Oh, that. that's another point. Yeah, there's well. Maybe there is electricity on the grid, but other than that, you know, there's no elements that we would recognize. You know, are there? Yeah, is there things on a cellular level, or is this pixels? You know. Well, I mean, like earlier, Tesla was mining for energy, mm. right? So there is a there is energy rations, and there's people getting low on energy, and people needing more energy, and cities running on energy. So I'm sure there must be some kind of you know, capacitors or resistors or some kind of flow where there's like a buildup possible and that you need some coolingness. And, you know, I, obviously I'm an electrician from what I'm talking about. <laughs> Huge, massive professional electrician here, but I assume that there's the, the flow of energy is somehow regulated and can be reservoired or overheat or that kind of thing. So this seems to be some kind of cooling tower or storage place or something, but it's beautiful. It's got this fog on the ground and it's this dark blue and it's massive right huge, particulate huge elements always my favorite thing in any movie yes right so that's uh that's pretty cool and then dyson is left alone by page and then we can see tron batmanning in the upper catwalks <laughs> glowering down at tyson again and oh he won't murder oh, you can tell. oh he's into it he's into it i've got you <laughs> dead to rights dyson and then we get a little 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 look did a little, did a little, another flashback to Tron uh, waking up in a test tube chamber with his gnarly chest scars, his really mm. graphic chest scars. And he's in this, and I love this set too. Like this is one of the things I like about the show is it keeps rolling out these, they don't just recycle one set over and over yeah. again or, or recycle three sets. Like it, Almost every episode, there's a new place where you're like, whoa, what is this? This like the the tunnels for the bike races, you know, or st stuff like that, where you're just like, wow, this is awesome. And I think the, we're talking about nightmares within a you know clean digital world. I think this so perfectly cr creates that nightmare sensation of yeah. you have these endless rows of these test tube shapes, people trapped within them, and you're watching them be. Uh, reprogrammed and yeah there's, there's something very eerie about the whole thing yeah and they're dormant right like they're not struggling and screaming like well so there's all these yeah all these test tubes endless field of upside down test tubes so the bottom is the is the bulb the bottom is the curved bulb and they're all floating at it and their their discs are above them like halos at the top of the test tube where the opening uh, would be where they're like welded to the ceiling kind of thing and then we see, and it's his buddy Rev, is in the in the one next to him, like one of the guys mm -hmm. on his team. And then we see that the 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 red code comes snaking down through the halo of their disc at the top. And then we see their blue code going out like a you know cigarette smoke or whatever up through the through the halo as well. So there's an exchange of 
code happening and they're being reprogrammed and made into dun 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 red programs. I think the most beautiful thing is the uh, again particulate matter, the condensation on the glass. I, yeah. I don't know why that just really enhances the scene. Whereas without it, I think it would look. I mean, not completely flat, but it would look a lot more flat. Yeah, but like when he's trying to struggle and you can hear the squeaks of his hands on the glass and all that, it just adds so much, right? When you mm. see, yeah, the condensation on the inside. And Beautiful. when you get that close-up on his mouth, it has that anime look. Love it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that happens sometimes that this animation looks two-dimensional. I don't know if they've completely gone two-dimensional or that's just how it looks sometimes on certain angles i don't know it might be shot to shot because some of it is definitely 2d and mm. then but then if the camera pans or rotates at all then it needs to be 3d mm. so i think they probably went back and forth depending on the needs of the shot that that would be my guess i like that because i think yeah. sometimes well nowadays things like squashing and stretching which is very classic like Looney Tunes sort of animation style for a long time. They couldn't do that with CGI. Yeah. But if you look at something like hotel Transylvania, Oh my God, they absolutely, it takes a lot of effort, but they absolutely know how to do the squash and stretch now. Yeah. But I think there's still a place to kind of mesh the two together. And I'm seeing that a lot, especially with Japanese animation. And that's quite exciting. And I like that. I think they should do a lot more of that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the future is these days with animation, with the options that are available in both 2D and 3D. Mm. I mean, you can kind of do whatever you like. It's always I guess it's always kind of been that way with animation, except the only tools available in the past were like paint, pencil and paper, <laughs> you know, and now it's like, oh, OK, we've got so many other options, but it's such a such a playground for the app for the imagination that's why i love it yeah so our, not even that long ago i'd say i don't know futurama stuff like that or even the dreamworks traditionally mostly traditionally animated movies the yeah. moment they had to use a cgi thing you go oh oh i could tell that cgi oh, that oh, yeah. Bad. yeah not blended in at all yeah getting it to like, only... getting it to marry has always been the there's always been sort of the, the holy grail and they're really good at it now Mm. but something i notice a lot of is in traditional animation where you have characters like what we're seeing in this scene or the next scene where uh tron there's a wide shot of him in another room when... yeah he gets he gets sucked up out of the tube after seeing this and he's seeing all the programs get reprogrammed and he says dyson what have you done like this is all again Dyson's very story. nightmarish yeah and then he gets sucked up out of the tube onto a uh like a plinth in the middle of a giant chamber and Dyson walks up and says, hello, old friend. <laughs> and yeah, their animation from that wide shot, they're, you know, they're very tiny in the screen, but they look proportionate. They look correct. Whereas I notice even in anime yeah. to this day, you know, even though you could just animate that, you know, at full size and then in digitally make it smaller and put it wherever you want. Yeah. No, they still don't, draw them at their proper size and scale down so it looks really weird and blobby and i don't don't know that's where i guess digital animation has the advantage yeah yeah you can really get into the proportions and the scale and the room is always going to be this big and the characters are always going to be this tall and that's 
you know, something that you can change, but you can also lock it in place. Whereas with your, if you're, especially if you're at doing a hand-drawn thing and there's, you know, whatever, a hundred animators and you've got teams of two and three working on different shots, that communication is key. But that was one of the things mm -hmm. that was really the best about um, Jurassic Park was the, the animatronic robot dinosaur heads. They went to a really, really good, like great lengths to make sure that the CG was the exact same scale. So that if you cut between the two, it wasn't like, you know, CG puppet, puppet, CG, CG puppet. It was like scale yeah. is something that definitely fascinates me, especially because now I, I'm very into Transformers and I'm drawing Transformers and it's just how big is a truck? I guess it's that big. And now I have to remember that and in every single angle. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's amazing that G1 Transformers it looked like anything even vaguely consistent at all. Oh, it yeah. tricks your eyes a lot of the time. It's oh, yeah. way all over the place, way off. Um, whereas when you get into the CGI Transformers, it's just, okay, yep, that's that's the scale everyone's going to be at and then not exactly. going to move around. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So we got we cut back from the flashback to Tron still staring down at Tyson with the murder eyes, still really uh, still really into it. And then Beck sneaks up on Tron to try to stop him from uh, killing Tyson. And then there's a uh, big old fight. Tron straight up kicks Beck, and uh, they're off to the races. But Tron ends up handcuffing Beck to the railing and embedding Beck's disc in the opposite railing saying that the cuffs are timed and that by the time they release, Dyson will be dead. And Tron Is this leaves. domestic violence? That's your son, Tron. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Tron leaves and Beck says, no, don't do it. We can't let the revolution end before it has a chance to start, 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 which is kind of a, a, kind of a strange thing for him to say at this point, but it becomes more relevant later on in the episode. But, but yeah. It's a little parting shot, he says, before Tron skips down to the floor to get his uh, to get his. How do you even see where he puts the cuff on? on? I'm looking really close, but I no, it's just it's just yeah, no, he nope. sneaks it on. You can't even. He see just is is magic when he needs to be. He's ninja. Yeah. ninja There's cuffs. no pockets on that costume. No, everything Bugs Bunny. Out of, what was the space that you called it behind the back? Hammer space. Hammer space. Yeah, that's it. Everything's yeah. just in hammer space. So we cut to the coolant chamber control room and we see that Pavel is the one that's been fiddling with the controls, causing the overload. Paige kicks him out of the way and we get a great little Pee Wee Herman shriek of surprise. Every once in a while it comes out. I love it. And, ah, ah, and then, uh, so Pavel is uh, sabotaging Tesla so that he can be in Dyson's good books when the what he sees is the inevitable shift of power happens, but he's getting desperate and he once again tries to enlist Paige's help with a think of what we could accomplish together kind of speech but she is still super not down and really doesn't like Pavel so <laughs> my favorite line is you really want to form an alliance with me and he's just like maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah right well what do you think though what uh, I mean maybe <laughs> yeah that's that's Pavel all over but I guess she has some honor, even though she's on the wrong side. They're really painting her out as to be like a person of duty and a person of her word and a person with morals and a person with a compass. She just happens to be on the evil side. Mm. So uh, they're doing a good job of doing that. Like she's not shady. She's like very much upfront 
and uh and good at what she does so too bad there aren't more seasons to see where she goes and develops right Ugh. it hurts why did we do this to ourselves Duncan? <laughs> it's too it's too hard it's hard sometimes you're like oh i can't wait to oh right oh <laughs> i guess i'll just have to write more fan fiction right yeah <laughs> So Beck is struggling with the uh, with the cuffs, and meanwhile Dyson is all renegade. I know you're here, and it really reminded me of uh, Warriors coming yeah, out and play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like he's really like whistling in the fog, saying "Hey, hey, hey!" And then he says, "So you've managed to trick a meager few into thinking you're Tron." And so it seems like Dyson wasn't lying when he says that he saw Tron die, which is interesting. I thought. Um, I thought maybe he had been privy to the fact that Tron survived, but was trying to keep the myth alive that Tron was dead. But he seems mm. to literally actually believe that he saw Tron die, which is pretty cool. But he crouches down on the ground to do that footprint, the footprint trick again, which I love. He touches the ground and then the footprints light up and mm. uh, the footprints get this. They go off into the distance and they lead to a glowing set of dots in the fog. And they're a T-shape. They're in the shape of Tron's emblem. Emblem. So Dyson pounces forward. He's got the drop on him, but oh no, it's just four glowing timer grenades in the shape of a T. Got him. Pretty sweet trick. So cool. Yeah. And then, but that's also cool. Like you can see a program circuitry through the fog and identify them that way. Like can a can I... a you know, can a program go dark if they're under those situations or can they? Because if you glow, if you literally glow in the dark, there's a lot of stealth options that are denied you, you know, if that's yeah. especially if you glow, like if I've got a big D on my back or something that's like glowing, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's me. I'm the only guy with a giant D glowing on my back. So, <laughs> yeah, fair dues. Yeah, that's me. That's my that's my ID right there. So. Yeah, because yeah, even when we see characters wearing cloaks or robes or whatever over the top, those have lights on them as well. So is it like a security measure that no one can be stealthy? I think so. Some of the some of the uh, bad guy soldiers seem to have very minimalist uniforms, so they've only got like a couple of highlights. Mm. You know, and I think that might be that might be the closest that you can get to like stealth. You know, but. I, I do like, like that idea of, uh, and we, it's sort of been hinted at a few times, the idea of this is how programs recognize each other, that these symbols are, well, they are symbols, they're conveying yeah. information. Yeah, like they mean something. It's not just mm. random. And, I, and But like he could have, Tron could have set up, you know, 10 hockey sticks with tea lights on them around Dyson and they all would have been glowing in the fog and Dyson would have been like, Oh geez, I'm surrounded by 15 Trons, you know, like, yeah. and uh, so it's, it's kind of cool to see a program use that, uh, you know, glowing through a particulate as a ruse, as a trick, you know, this show is just so clever. So clever, right? Very clever. But uh, the grenades go off <laughs> and it sets off a chain reaction in this giant volatile coolant factory or whatever the heck this is. And uh, so Beck's railing breaks with the shock of the explosion. Now he's hanging by his wrist, which is very uncomfortable. And Dyson stands, breathing hard in the wreckage. And I am 100% 
uh, not really sure about how he's not super dead because that was a big explosion. That was a huge Hot explosion. Armor. But uh, I guess you know you can't you can't just uh, kill the main the main foil this early. Exactly. So he and you know whatever he's Dyson he's got security measures he has a personal shield or something that snapped into place his own personal you know air cushion that popped out of his <laughs> plot armor that's what I'm saying man that's what he's got he's got a good chunk of plot armor going on <laughs> but then we cut back to Dyson in a flashback again only this time he's welding something turns out he's welding Tron he's Frankensteining mm. Tron on an operating table torturing him and his guards outside the front door and i love this is so freaking cool i love a guard i love a good guard conversation and this is no exception the first one's like why isn't he screaming they all usually scream and the second one's like that's because that's tron yeah he's tron and the other other guy's like oh wow like like that's tron you know like i love that that's uh that's pretty cool it's such a cool scene yeah and so inside, Dyson is marveling at Tron's resilience, but Tron is all like, okay, well, what have you done with our mutual friends, that whole little cadre, that little elite team that they had before? And Dyson's all like, oh, them? Oh, they're just Clue's latest project. He calls it repurposing. And Tron uh, asks, well, how many of you repurposed? And Dyson's like, oh, under your command? Oh, everyone. You're <laughs> Flynn's last soldier old friend like this guy is so cold like whatever because <laughs> we saw they were all a pretty solid team they had each other's backs they were good friends you know and uh man whatever wound this guy took in the face and whatever repurposing clue did to him it's it runs deep he's turned into a complete viper this is yeah he's turned into a cardassian uh just yeah star trek star trek reference everybody um yeah just that sort of uh if you're aware of the four lights episode just that intense personal psychological torture that's yeah. what dyson is doing yeah yeah and uh like tron sort of begs for repurposing he's like get it over with but dyson's like i want you to volunteer willingly you know i want clue to bring perfection to the grid and i want you to come down to us of your own free will you know after a good deal of torturing i I assume but he says tron lays down the sick burn he's so good he's like you're delusional clue didn't improve your face he made you harder to look at Uh, oh snap snap yeah it reminds me of uh there was uh the dark knight uh dark knight comic from 1986 but there was uh two-face got healed quote-unquote healed by a plastic surgeon and uh so now he's fully handsome he no longer has a scarred half he's one face he's one face but it it backfired and he actually became fully evil instead of fully Uh. good so he he became he went fully one way instead of fully the other way so oh that's interesting i didn't remember that yeah it was just a little kind of b plot it wasn't really touched on it was just kind of kind of in the background and then they have a little conversation in, uh... Don't get me started on how underrated Two Face is. Like everyone's all about oh. the Joker. No, Two Face is where it's at. Two Face is the best because sometimes he'll team up. You know, sometimes yeah. he's like, "Oh, you want my, uh, my the coin says I should help you this time." Okay, and that's something I've never seen in a like, especially in the film adaptations of him. Is he's always a bad guy, and I'm like, it's more complex than that. <laughs> he's yes, cha- he's chaotic, and that's that's the that's the scary part. 
is he realizes it's all a joke and it's all just a flip of the coin and that's yeah so he could help you or he could try to kill you could go either way there's no middle ground yeah right and i want to see him literally i want to see a movie representation where he literally is like got the gun on everybody has the drop and then flips a coin and goes oh no not today well bye you know like i'd love to only thing the only adaptation that sort of hints at that complexity or at least from batman's perspective surprisingly was the arkham knight game where when you arrest two-face and you bring him to uh the the precinct you have this very heartbreaking conversation where batman basically apologizes for sorry i didn't save you and i know i'm kind of responsible for making you the way you are Ah. Yeah, damn. Oh, that is sad. It's heavy. Yeah, that is heavy. Like, what's and what's what's he supposed to do with that? Like, oh, that's okay, or I accept your apology. <laughs> well, let me see if yeah, I accept. Yeah, I have your... to find that scene again. But uh, I was just like, whoa, I didn't expect this from this game. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he was like, I don't even need to flip a coin to tell you to get lost, and I do not accept <laughs> your apology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You uh, you ruined my life, so that's uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty resolute in rejecting your apology on this one batman yeah both first personalities agree on that one yeah shake hands high five other half yeah we're in we're in complete unify unification it's the only thing we agree on <laughs> the image of two-face high-fiving himself <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i haven't seen that in a movie yet i'd love to see him high-five himself are we gonna have to write our own two-face graphic novel here and correct <laughs> all these wrongs it, it sounds like it <laughs> but uh so what do we got here we got he's in uh a sh- so there's this the ship what do we got oh wait no here we go right and uh so dyson brings this a spinning blue cutter down on tron again really going to work on his face you know, like, and Dyson tells the guards to take. It's Tron. almost like he has a thing about facial disfigurement. I, uh, you know what, he probably does after after his uh, rather horrific accident there. But uh, Dyson, honestly, tells the... since we've started reviewing the show, I've been really paranoid about anything happening to my face. Oh, really? Has it just started to like invade your consciousness a little bit? It was like after I was watching Daredevil, and again, I think I mentioned in one of the previous previous episodes that my two biggest fears are either facial disfigurement or going blind. So after watching Daredevil, yeah. I was just so aware of my eyes at all times. Yeah. And now, sure. now I'm aware of my face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dyson makes a fatal mistake here. He tells the guards to take Tron to the throne ship. And they're, uh, they're a little horrified at the damage. And we get that cool shot of Tron's ruined eye socket blinking and looking around in the de-rezzed ruin of his face. And I think you were talking about this in the last episode when you get to see just the, the little sort of glittering, half-formed, jagged crystals of his eyeball kind of blinking. And, and, uh, and just the effects that, that they did in this particular I love the digital wounds that are represented in, yeah. in this and in Legacy that were missing from 1982 because the technology wasn't super. I mean, they did it with Sark's forehead in the final battle, but they could have used uh, some more of it kind of sprinkled around. And, you know, you know it was, that would have been cool. Because we don't really get a look in into the interior of these beings, if no. you will. And this is a rare opportunity to see, oh, no, they're kind of solid all the way through. Yeah, but the outer I don't know, mesh, you know, the instructions of this is where the eye goes, this is where the mouth goes, that musculature of, of a type 
it's still there uh, maybe a layer or two down into those pixels yeah yeah so the the ship the the ship with the the throne the the throne ship you can see it flying over clues massive just massive group of repurposed forces this is kind of reminiscent of uh, legacy now where you get to see all of these troops in in phalanxes and and squares uh and then you know clues going on about some nonsense about wiping out the agents of chaos you know so i guess programs are order and the isos are like chaos to them you mm. know and that's that seems to be a a thing that a lot of bad guys in movies start to harp on about is I've, like I, I personally have never really understood being against chaos like pure chaos sure but worshiping order just always seems to end really badly in reality and in fan in, and in fantasy like it's just if you really go hard with order well, i think it, it seems to it's impossible really you can do your best but you can't you can never have perfect order which i suppose is part of clue's downfall is he's trying to create a perfect society yeah a, i mean quest well, right well perfection is entirely subjective in the first place but yeah the the idea of perfection is it's basically stagnation and you need those chaotic elements to evolve the only purpose of existence is to continue to adapt and change and grow so if you reach this point of quote-unquote perfection well you know how long does that last i mean we do have species that haven't changed in a very long time sharks haven't needed to yeah. change crocodiles haven't needed yeah. to change but eventually they would have to if their environment changed so there again there's nothing that's immutable yeah no that's a really good way of putting it it's a really good way of putting it the perfection mm. is stagnation yeah i like that a lot so dyson's watching the throne ship recognizer off in the distance transporting tron to wherever when suddenly one of the recognizers stabilizers blows up sending the ship sinking down towards the ground where it explodes presumably with everybody on board. Dyson raises an eyebrow. He's pretty shocked, but then he says, goodbye, old friend. So I guess... Yeah, Dyson's reaction's very interesting because he has this moment of shock and then he collects himself and he's just, yeah, good, goodbye, old friend. He's, he's genuinely shocked. Yeah, yeah, he's genuinely shocked. He's like, well, I didn't see that coming. But I guess this is what Dyson meant about seeing Tron die. Right, like he saw the ship explode. You know, it's like in uh, Mad Max Fury Road. You know, like she went under the wheels, but did you see her die? She went under the wheels. Like, yeah. oh, okay, well, keep on driving. You know, like possibly survival happened, but it's pretty dang unlikely. But I do think, you know, like has Tyson? I mean, Tyson's probably never seen a a crime movie. I don't know if they have movies <laughs> on the grid, but until you see a body. There's always a chance that the good guy is alive, you know. So this how is... many times is Tron gonna have to die before people accept that he's immortal? Right? Come on. <laughs> so back in the present, uh, a helmeted Tron pulls Dyson up by the hair, which is pretty cool. We get to see some more hair interaction here, and then yeah. a, uh, a fight starts. And Dyson's helmet, uh, Dyson's Dyson's helmet is up, and it turns out. His disc is on an electrified red string, like a murder yo-yo. Murder yo-yo, yes. It's right? goofy, but it's very memorable, and oh, I love it. It's awesome. It's like the weapon that uh, Gogo had in Kill Bill or whatever, that sort of 
saw blade oh. on, a, on a chain. Yeah. Or was it a saw blade? No, it was like a, a spiked ball or something, but it was like whipping around, taking out It's been out a long time. I think, yeah, it was a bull. But it's a really good fight. It's a really cool fight. And I like that they brought out a new, like it's like Darth Maul with his double-edged, you know, lightsaber there. You're like, what? A, 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 a disc <laughs> on a string? That's you know? against the rules. <laughs> but that can't, you know, so Dyson gets, illegal. Dyson gets the upper hand, of course, demanding that the renegade show his face. Tron squirms out and the fight continues. A lot of knee slide dodges here. You know, a lot of that uh, matrixy kind of stuff. Tron manages to get Dyson's disc and sever the cord. Now it's two disc Tron versus discless Dyson. And it still seems like it's a pretty even fight. So Dyson knows what he's what he's doing up top discless wonder dyson disc discless wonder and then up top beck has managed to get free so that's cool uh tron's got the upper hand now and he unmasks himself to a horrified crawling dyson and tron is in full murder mode here he's really he's he looks like frankenstein's monster he's got the scar is really really uh really rancid now it's really coming to its full so dramatic i love it and he's snarling you know he's snarling you know and you can oh, tell also we didn't mention before that he grabs when he grabs dyson's disc he shoots his hand up through the center yeah so you know, it's not like he grabs it. He goes right up through that the center of it. It's very impressive. Really impressive. That's some timing. That's like a that's what's that? The sport ultimate where you play with a arrow You're tossing around. I suppose that's one of the ways to catch it. Is just stick your hand up through the center. But that takes some real timing when it's going at those speeds. And it takes something to you know. This is animation. This anything's possible. But for us to actually be excited and impressed, it takes something yeah. in terms of storytelling and you really believe it yeah really well choreographed fight scenes right and this is no exception and so we a sense of stakes i guess yeah yeah this is like it's like in any movie you know if it's halfway through the film you know the good guy's not gonna die but if it's well written and well done you're like oh no look out oh geez you know like uh and and that's kind of what's happening here is you're like oh wow this is a this is a strong fight and we find out that dyson's dark gift to tron is that normal programs just get tired without regular infusions of energy but tron will straight up die without it right so he that's the thing he's like you know i knew you might escape so i gave you this like almost like slow acting poison kind of thing so that he's and then dyson does the the best like batman detective he's like let me guess you live in a cave close to it, <laughs> close to an energy source. And he's like, bang on the money. You know, he's like, uh, yep. Yeah, he does. Dyson's so cool. <laughs> he's so cool. But Dyson's like, he's still rolling out all the cliches here. He's like, no, that's, that's not possible. I saw you die. Your life could be better. I can fix you. If you join us, join us. You know, yep. He's going full, full Darth Vader, full bad guy. You and I, we're so much alike. Yeah, we're not that different, you and I. You know, like that kind of that kind Then of stuff. Uh, Tron says, I'd rather stay like this forever than be a puppet of a tyrant. Yeah, uh, about that, Tron. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work out for you. Nope. So, uh, Although, Tron... this was this this is cancelled after one season. So technically speaking, you won, Tron. Congratulations. Technically, yeah. But uh, Tron has Dyson by the throat now, ready to deliver the coup de grace. 
while Beck watches from a railing up top. So then we then we flash back to what happened. So we flat Tron's awesome ruined face in the recognizer. And the recognizer stabilizer is already on fire at this point, and a guard named Cyrus sets Tron free, uh, jumping with him out of the ship and deploying one of those four wing backpacks. Cyrus the virus. Uh, Cyrus the virus. That was uh, who was that? Was that Malkovich? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In uh, oh god, uh, Con Air, wait. Con Air, Con Air. That, there yeah. we go. It's basically my name. <laughs> Uh, Cyrus has it's some fancy way to pronounce it. Yeah, uh, Connor has somehow managed to bypass his programming. I guess. I mean, he's so he's still full red, so I don't really know how he managed to do that. He hasn't. I would think that if you break your programming to free a prisoner, you at least parts of you would turn blue or green or something. But neutering. Yeah, they, uh, come on. That's how we've established. That's how this works. Right. So. I mean that's the world, right? That would be another thing if you're if your murder crime boss guy was like, "Are you still down with our side?" You'd be like, "Oh yeah, absolutely, boss." But like half your arm is like green and aqua. You're like, "Yeah, you're uh, you're not though," <laughs> you know. So, but they fly down through the blizzard while the recognizer crashes in the background, and Cyrus has him in a cave shelter and he says to tron i can't let the revolution end before it has a chance to start which is uh, a, a callback to the earlier line that beck said off the dome when he uh, was left handcuffed to the railing so that's that's what that's about you know i was thinking with the if 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 programs or people were like murderings that would be a world where there's no lying. And I guess the movie yeah. Invention of Lying does cover this. But yeah, that would be very interesting if it's a world where, well, you everything you say has to be the truth because there there is no lying. There is not even the option of lying. Yeah. No, that would be fascinating to uh, to explore. You know, yeah. If there's like, it's impossible to have subterfuge. I mean, not impossible. You just have to find a way to make you know program yourself so that your colors weren't true or uh or wear i mean if you're wearing wearing a, a totally opaque black full body smock people are like okay i know <laughs> that you're lying <laughs> you know you're you're wearing a liar's jumpsuit right so why, you know. <laughs> liar's jumpsuit. uh you could maybe get around it by convincing yourself or controlling your own emotions yeah to the point that you even believe your own lies, but yeah, there's a that, would, kind of that would be the only way I would think that the true way, but the cut back to now and Tron, of course, has a change of heart and well, thankfully, cause I want to see more of Dyson. And then uh, Tron asks Dyson to deliver a message to clue and walks away. And then Beck walks away too. And Dyson is left wide eyed and shocked. So, hmm. Meanwhile, Paige says that she's lost track of Dyson and is apologizing to Tesla, but Tesla's like thrilled. He's very happy. <laughs> He's saying, oh, Dyson has fled in fear. And Pavel and pa Paige did a great job teaming up to make it happen. And we get a great wide shot at around uh, the sort of 20, 19 minutes and 40 second mark here of Tesla's main chamber. 
And we, well, I don't think we've had like a really, I mean, we've probably had a couple of wide shots of Tesla's main chamber. Yeah, I didn't think so, especially from that angle. Yeah, from this angle, I love the art design of Tron, both, you know, 40 years ago and recently. Like, like the aesthetic is just amazing. And this is no exception. I actually feel like I might argue that I like Tron Uprising visually more than I like Tron Legacy at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's definitely an argument to be had for that just because of the variety. Like they explore so many different arenas and rooms and, and, and it's places. It's so cool. Yeah. Uh, going back to what I was saying about how it, uh, Dyson kind of makes Tesla less than the, yeah. the ultimate big guy. And I feel that's very humanizing. Normally that that trope, if, if it's used in other stories, you suddenly see this more human aspect of this character who is normally just you know the bad guy and now oh well no he's he doesn't have ultimate power he does have vulnerabilities he does get annoyed he does yeah have those limitations yeah and yeah it's just fun to see tesla become that he's quite funny actually yeah especially because he's so happy here he's like oh you know oh no it's great it's fantastic i don't even care everything's cool dyson's gone fantastic you know he's like this this whole other guy all of a sudden and you're like wow you really you're really thrilled and some of that is the voice acting and uh, some of that's the animation it's it's a nice uh, combination of the two getting that humor i think villains are so great to get humor out of because they have to generally be so dignified and so intense at all times and then suddenly you can switch that yeah and mm, comedy gold oh yeah wait perfectly timed comedy gold and i think there's something to lance hendrickson like i liked him a lot as bishop the android and aliens as this Mm. almost an innocent you know and then but then he got cast as the villain in a lot of places like near dark and stuff and he's he's a good he's a great villain but i kind of like him better the other way like robert england right like he played freddy krueger but he also played the friendly bartender in the v television series where he's like a really, really sweet, nice guy. And uh, it's really hard to, to marry the two of seeing him, you know, seeing him both as this innocent guy and also as, as Freddy Krueger. And I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to be said for what you're saying. Definitely. That I think a villain with good comic timing is fantastic. Like in the end of the crow. <laughs> when, yeah. Uh, yeah. When top dollars, like quick impression for you, caw, caw, you know, F I'm dead. You know, like he just—that was—he was very funny. I thought, very sarcastic and very funny. God, that guy's voice is insane. Yeah, what's that guy's name? Michael. Oh. Uh, I can't get Michael Madsen out of my head, but Michael Wincott—that's that guy's name. I think, yeah, voice like uh, the anthropomorphic personification of a cigarette. Uh, yeah. Or a pack of yeah. Um, oh, and uh, John Glover, who voices Dyson. Yeah. Nicest guy in the world. He is adorable in Gremlins 2. And he's technically the bad guy in Gremlins 2. He's an antagonist, not the villain. But yeah, oh, he's yeah. so funny. Yeah, I know. Okay, I see his face now. Yeah, I know I know who you're talking about. And he also played uh uh the doctor that makes poison ivy, right? Uh oh, yes, and he was in Smallville and he was yeah. in Shazam yeah. and well, maybe he stuff. was in Yeah. He's done yeah. all the DC things. It reminds when you were talking about a a person showing up to humanize the villain, it kind of did you ever mm-hmm. see Deadwood? 
Yes, ages ago. Yeah, so it reminds me of how we've got Swearingen, who's like the foil for the sheriffs, although he, he is also sort of maintaining order in the town by giving everybody free drinks and free whores when when things look like they're gonna when there's a riot about to kick off he's like hey who wants free drinks and whores he was like hey forget about the riot free drinks and whores but uh (laughs) but then tolliver that guy tolliver shows up and sets up a neighboring saloon and tolliver is played by powers booth and he's a dandy right like he's got a an immaculate suit and a big purple top hat and he's this guy and you think, oh, Swearingen's going to eat this guy for breakfast. But then you see Tolliver like torture a couple of teenagers to death. And you see that Tolliver's unhinged. Tolliver's not playing with a full deck. Tolliver's really got some sadistic tendencies and also just like a, a, a bit of a weak hold on reality. And suddenly mm-hmm. Swearingen kind of looks like the good guy. Right. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four comics. All the time, he is the he's a he's a villain with a moral code, a sense of honor. So very often, he ends up working for the good guys because he goes, "Okay, enemy, my enemy. Yes, I yeah. do also find this morally reprehensible. Yeah, this villain's gone too far. I am the good guy here." <laughs> and yeah. yeah, that's the important thing to. For well, most films, I mean, you can have just a one-dimensional cartoony villain. Again, sometimes a Skeletor is a good time, but I do think it's important to show that they think of themselves as the good guy. So yeah. in a situation where you know there's another villain, of course they're going to spring into action because they think of themselves as the hero. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. So we uh, we cut to Tron uh, in his healing bath, and this time he's letting it go all the way, letting all the scars get healed. And a white again back, now he's got his half of the disc back, I guess, uh, waits for Tron to get healed. And then Tron thanks Beck and apologizes, which is a pretty big moment because I don't think Tron's gone that far before. I think he's expressed gratitude and said good job or... Don't worry about that mistake, but I think this might be the well, first Well, I guess time given this. how far he went in the other <laughs> direction, yeah, maybe, this, maybe apologies. Uh, warranted. Uh, yeah, an apology is warranted here, I think, considering. Mm. And uh, then we get a, an overhead shot of Dyson's cruiser floating over a city in a storm, which is pretty cool. Presumably where Clue lives. And, of course, the city is amazing. Every overhead shot of a it's city. It's like a microchip. Yeah. Yeah, of course, right? Like there's going to be all that going on in these overhead shots. I mean, cities look like micro grid cities laid out in a grid. You know, they look like that anyway from a true from a certain height. But he reports to Clue with Tron's message, and the message is this set looks really cool, by the way. Ah, uh, more more with the yeah again with the super cool set. But the message that Tron asked Dyson to give Clue is Tron lives. And there's this fantastic bad guy moment, this really good bad guy moment where there's Clue and there's Dyson and there's some guy. (laughs) Okay, uh, who who else knows about this? Uh, Just you and us. Uh, Oh, no. So Dyson then immediately attacks the poor guard to say, only us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who else knows about this? Dyson kills the only guard. Nobody. And, uh, And it's like you said in the last episode, this guy doing the Jeff Bridges voice is nailing it like he's just yeah. nails it i Fred never I, until until you mentioned it i never would have known that it wasn't just uh just straight up jeff bridges he's doing a Absolute great job champion. 
and without yeah without doing a, a caricature you know or an impression that's the hardest thing you know if yeah. you're doing really you know everyone can do a donald trump because the man talks like a cartoon character but sure if you're trying to do something very naturalistic yeah that that takes real talent yeah and so but what we learned from this is that clue wants to keep tron's survival a secret I wonder and, if they uh, do the alter God's memories frequently anyway. Why? Like, I guess to me, I'm like, why wouldn't they? Like, they could just, like, <laughs> it would have been great. It would have been great. If, yeah, just download another uh, another memory in there. Like, it would have been great if Dyson killed the guard and Clue was like, oh, God, Dyson, you didn't have to kill him. We could have just, <laughs> you know, taken that part of his memory out. You know, oh, my yeah. bad. My bad. They don't grow on trees. In fact, there are no trees because it's the great. <laughs> That's right. So this is a, a fantastic episode that dives a little bit into the conventional bad guy, good guy, episodic territory. You know, I've always bad... really loved stories like this where yeah. I don't think kids shows just have to be for kids. I don't think they have to be condescending. When I was really little, I always remember wishing the cartoons I watched would go darker and would go more serious. I was yeah. one of those kids. Yeah, for sure. Writing my own version in my head. Yeah, and yeah. I th oh, actually Guillermo del Toro. I think it was in the forward for Frankenstein. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A, a newer version of Frankenstein from a few years ago. He was talking about how kids are naturally drawn to darkness, but we tend to shelter them from it. Yeah. But yeah, something like this, or there's a show I loved, Generator Rex. Isn't very well remembered, but it was from around the same time. And, you know, I am an adult, very much, you know, nearly 30, but I still get something out of it. And I think, yeah, there there is no age limit on good drama and good storytelling. No, I totally, uh, I very much agree. You know, and this had a lot of the cliches on it, sort of like, you know, the bad guy bringing out a unique weapon, being defeated and offering power, good guy ultimately be being merciful, you know, merciful good guy and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I don't even mind, you know. We got we got beautiful sets in the, the yeah. It's it's Shakespearean. It's Paradise Lost. It's all those. It's hitting those beats that just so universally resonate with us. The, yeah. This concept of betrayal and the ultimate bad guys and all yeah. yeah. That's there's a reason why we have tropes and why we are still telling even greek myths and arthurian legends to this day. Yeah, like I'm playing a video game right now called Hades, which is. Uh, mm all about the the roman gods you know and i'm like it's still a fantastic well of stories for us you know all to read and and these myths are are kind of timeless thousands of years later but i think that's sort of the problem with the whole property of tron is that it's a it's an adult oh, wait, is it greek or the roman ah, i get them mixed up i'm afraid to say oh, okay it's probably I greek because think... it's hades it's greek uh hades... yeah I don't, but I was for a second. I'm like, oh, they're actually doing the Roman version. That's very interesting because the Greeks originated these stories. The Romans basically copied everything, yeah. but they're also real big prudes, so they also made everything PG. Yeah. Um, so that's why I also laugh when people go, oh, you know, Roman orgies. Mm, don't think the Romans were into that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, that, that, I'm not sure either way. I'm not a historian, but I know that. Well, I... Zeus was. Zeus is getting pretty frisky with anybody who would uh, give him the time of day. So I don't know how. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Did the Romans edit those parts of the story? I have. Uh, I don't think so. Zeus was pretty famous for getting around and uh, yeah. getting down with the mortals, more so mm -hmm. than I think Jupiter was. But uh, 
but I don't know. Okay, so Jupiter is Zeus in the Roman version, so yeah. that would make sense if Jupiter yeah. has been edited to be more PG. Yeah, yeah. So I think Jup. Well, Jupiter's is Jupiter. Okay, well, we're on a pretty pretty big tangent here. But if anybody knows the difference, the deep dark difference between the two. But the proper the, the problem with Tron as a property, I think, is that it's a it's an adult property with its complexity and its brutality and yeah. its big picture metaphors about existence. But it's a Disney property, so you kind of have to pitch it to kids on some level, or at least to families. And it's kind of the age-old problem. And this is what affected 1982's Tron in the first place as well, is because it was a bit too complex for kids and, um, you know, not complex enough for adults because it was a Disney movie. Like, they tried... It was it sort of was the capper on an era where they tried like family horror with like the watcher in the woods and the black hole and because they're live action studios, they were just pumping out forgettable property after forgettable property. And Tron's failure sort of put a headstone on the whole thing. And that's when they invented Touchstone to bring out more adult fare like Splash and stuff like that. Mm. But uh it's just it's pervasive, right? Like to this day. If you want to make a really cool cartoon like Tron Uprising you can't go too dark, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, like the star Wars prequels, right? Like you can't go too dark, you know, you have to be, there's gotta be something that doesn't completely traumatize the kids. And I'm kind of like, well, a couple moments of trauma in a movie like that, I think would be, would make it all the more memorable. Like I think, like, yeah, uh, you, need, you need a couple of large marges in there. <laughs> yeah, sure, right? Or like E.T., right? E.T.'s like the the, the, the the second act home stretch of like when E.T. straight up dies and like scientists yeah. invade his house and like tent his whole house. And it's it's like a nightmare. And, and, and that is what 10-year-old me loved. I was like, yes, this is getting so real and realistic and heavy. Yeah, and yeah burned into your brain forever and i think there needs to be uh, a bit more of that you know so i don't know it's hard for them to handle something so high concept as tron but at least they tried both with yeah, legacy and uprising and i really hope they continue doing it in some form yep even if it's got jared leader there's still a chance it could be good yep i'm still into it right i mean blade uh, runner 2049 has jared leader is very good so yeah right <laughs> exactly so uh, I guess that brings us to the end of part two of Scars, episode 10. We're like halfway through this uh, this journey of ours here. So, yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Animatronic. I've been Duncan Shields. And I have been Courtney Colson. And tune in next time for another episode of Animatronic. End, end of, of line. line.